Neil, we are recording. Okay, thank you, Zerk. Um, I'm delighted to introduce Eric Wilhelm. Uh, he came through um, uh, the lab at MIT. He did a, a really interesting thesis on printing electronics and then went on through a number of steps I think that'll tell you about leading up to now being um, VP at Autodesk of Fusion, one of the favorite uh, maker tools. So take it away, Eric. Hey, good morning, good evening to wherever you are in the world. Uh, so happy to be here and, and thanks Neil for the opportunity. Uh, I figure I'll just give a, a minute on my background. That's so, sorry, take, take more than a minute. It's, it's a good story. <laughs> Uh, so I finished my doctorate at MIT and started a design firm. Uh, from the design firm, we spun out several companies. Uh, most notably was Instructables and Makani. So I'll start with Makani first. Makani was a high altitude or is a high altitude wind power company. Uh, and the idea there is that there's lots of wind up above the surface. Uh, and the easiest way to reach it is actually to put a kite up there. And the the other thought was that in a windmill, the only thing that does anything is the tips. Everything else in the windmill is really just to hold the structure of the tips, because the tip is the only thing that does that moves through the fluid at any velocity. And so there's a whole lot of structure, uh, compressive and tensile structure that's supposed to hold that tip in place. But if you instead could just fly a kite in the same pattern of the tip, you could collect approximately the same amount of energy from the wind. And so Makani builds what amount to it at this point aircraft that that do vertical takeoff and landing. Uh, they spool out a, a line and then eventually fly patterns uh, up in the sky with rotors that are back driven as the kite flies. And then the power is sent down the line. And they, they actually just, so that, that company was spun out from my design firm and then was acquired by Google. Uh, and they actually just a couple months ago had a successful test flight of their next system, which is an 85 foot uh, wingspan, uh, effectively at this point, a big aircraft. And so it vertical takeoff, went up into the sky and flew some patterns and, and uh, generated some electricity. So that, that, that's, that's going, that's going pretty well. Instructables is a uh, Instructables is the the best place to share projects online. So Instructables is a <clears throat> project sharing community, and it has recipes, electronics, home repair, robots, <clears throat> craft projects, uh, all. And it's a place where there's a highly engaged community, and you can share your projects. And the idea really is that. At some, when you build something, you want to put it on your coffee table and have your friends and family see it and so you can tell them how cool it, it is. But at some point, they kind of get sick of you and you need a wider audience. So Instructables is that wider audience. Uh, can you talk just a little more about that origin story? <laughs> so I, while I was finishing up my doctorate, I took up kite surfing, which is where you take a giant kite and a surfboard and you have it drag you out in the ocean. And it was in the infancy of the sport so I was actually building all my own gear. Uh, so I would design my own kites and sew my own kites and then build my own kite boards. And uh, half the gear would perform 
beautifully and the other half would would fail spectacularly. So the Coast Guard was actually involved on multiple occasions <laughs> to drag uh, uh, some, some of my friends and, and, and me out of the out of the water. And I was documenting everything I was building on my personal website. So I'd have plans up there of how to build everything. And there were two things that were happening. First, it was taking me, this is about 2000. So it was taking me just as long to build a kiteboard as it was to write a web page about the kiteboard. So it was clear that I needed a better better tool to do that. Uh, and second, I was actually getting a fair number of people asking for more information. Could they get my plans? Could they get my CAD files? Could they meet me at the beach to see how this stuff was working? Uh, so it was clear that both there was a need for a better tool to document projects and connect with other people, uh, and that, that there's there's a, a desire out there. So Instructables, we built the first uh, per, the the first version of it, put it out, and kind of let it run on its own for a while. And before before long, there there were half a million people visiting the site every month. Uh, and at that point, I spun it out into a separate company. Uh, and it, I ran it for about 10 years, was then uh, acquired by Autodesk in 2011, and ran it within Autodesk for many years. Uh, and at this point, there, it reaches somewhere between 20 to 30 million people every month. There are about 250,000 projects on the site. And there's all sorts of people that I think are discovering that they are... They're 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 not alone. They're, just because they make something and there's and and that the, there's kind of no one in their in their physical community that they that they uh, they they can meet up with. They're discovering that there's there's all sorts of people out there. So can you talk about the transition from Instructables to Autodesk Community? Yeah, we we I'd say Instructables has actually been like a poster child of acquisition success. Uh, the, the site had a very strong brand and the company itself was profitable at the time of acquisition. So that, that led to a lot of uh, effectively good things happening. Uh, we managed to keep the community authentic uh, despite joining a large publicly traded corporation. And I think have continued to do so. I mean, you'll see that, you'll see that Autodesk is, is listed prominently on the site, uh, but the yellow robot is also st still up there prominently as, as a, as a brand, and the the kind of theory of the acquisition was that products, both consumer and professional products, uh, will have a larger need for community management and an active community. And so Autodesk saw us as the premier, kind of premier community building team. And wanted to get the Instructables expertise to be to apply to uh, their new consumer division, uh, and then ultimately to the the broader professional products. Uh, so that was that was just it was it was a bet on that you you need to support your customers, but you also need to build a community around the things that they're doing, and that will lead to ultimately a, a, a better tools and better better communities. So that was kind of the theory. So Instructables continued to run and. Continued to, continued to grow, uh, while at the same time, a lot of the stuff that we built under the hood in Instructables is now part of the, the things that we do uh, at Autodesk. And that was kind of a, a, a big transition for me. So I recently took over uh, running all of Fusion 360. And a, and a big part of that is Fusion 360 is kind of the premier product <clears throat> that has the best community, uh, the premier professional product in Autodesk that has the best community. So I have, I, uh, 
took that over and continued to drive that engagement. We're doing things differently. Uh, so sorry, a, that's something I wanted to ask about the transition from Instructables to Autodesk Community Diffusion. Um, is that an arc or a turn? Um, talk about that transition. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say it's, it's an arc. So there's a, uh, a couple of, uh, a great opportunity showed up, which is within the education group, there's some change, uh, some, some change in leadership there and some, and some uh, additional people were joining into that group. And that, that created an opportunity for Instructables to transition into that group. So Instructables is now part of Autodesk's education group. Uh, and that's, I mean, it's, it's great for the Instructables team. And it's also great for Autodesk because they can now uh, start to work on the Autodesk education platform <clears throat> from the basis of Instructables. So that just, that just makes a ton of sense. Uh, a little bit emotional for me to kind of give it up, but at the same time, I've, I've moved on to uh, uh, working on Fusion. And, the, and the, the thought behind Fusion was it's a premier market expanding product that we're building. Uh, really needs to have that drive for uh, community engagement so that we <clears throat> know what the customers want and know really really try to serve their needs as best as possible, but also dri drive the whole thing forward. So it's both, a, I'd say it's both, both an arc and a, and a turn. Um, and before, I'd say kind of before I uh, joined on to the, the Fusion 360 team, Carl Bass is doing a lot of that, uh, that community engagement. He's kind of set the tone for what happens in the forums that whenever somebody asks a question that they need to, they, they, they should get an answer and kind of setting, setting the, the ability for uh, us to set out our roadmap. So I, I, don't, I don't know if people are familiar with, with how, how these things work, but typically a publicly traded corporation does not announce its, its software roadmap, uh, largely because you can do things like change the stock price or you can get customers to, to do things like make purchasing decisions based on what you promise them. Uh, and actually, we're doing that. We're, we're, we're explicitly doing that differently with Fusion in that there's a six-month roadmap that's publicly out there that, that goes into a lot of detail about what we're going to what we're going to do. And this is this is actually something that the the rest of the company is is starting to embrace. And I think it's really good because you get a, you get great feedback on on uh, from the community as to what you're doing. So can you talk about, I'm not sure where this goes in your flow, but the origin story of Fusion, it brought together a number of different pieces. I had, yeah, I had, there's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty complicated. There were a number of things that were going on and just the, the brief overview was Fusion is the, the core aspect of Fusion at this point is close to 10 years old. And it was intended to be a bunch of things in the beginning. It was, uh, kind of some different way to do some modeling. There were some other competitors out there. And so the audit has built a, a, a tool that was, that was kind of similar, uh, transitioned to do a couple things. Uh, the next step was a combined, uh, kind of industrial design and solid modeling environment. So that means that there's both parametric design, but also direct modeling, which means you can kind of go into a sculptural, type of uh, type of view. So you can push and pull on stuff like it's clay uh, using what we call teeth splines, which is a, a uh, I'd say it's, it's kind of the next generation of nerves. Uh, so you can, you can move around the geometry easily uh, and do kind of industrial design sculptural type work, but in a combined environment. 
so you can do solid modeling, parametric, and also this direct modeling. That has since kind of swirled a bit and then transitioned into what we now do, which is we think of it as a, a it's a combined integrated environment. So it's 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 CAD, it, it's it's not just CAD, it's not just CAM, it's not just computer-aided engineering, it's all those things combined. And the, and that's really what we're trying to do is make an integrated environment where uh, design is connected to manufacturing and production and is connected to life cycle management. So the entire product development process is combined into an, a, a single integrated tool. And that's a, that's a road we're on. Those, those things are not fully connected, but that is the vision of where we're taking it. And you can see really clearly uh, pieces of that vision in that how well Fusion is, uh, the design is connected to the CAM, the computer-aided manufacturing workspace, and how well it's connected to the simulation. And those are, those are things we can dig further into, but uh, any more origin story that you want to want to get that's into, Neil? Maybe you want to dive deeper now into what fusion is and then where it's going. Yeah, so, so yeah, this is this is so this is the modeling environment, which is which should be pretty familiar to to lots of people. And if I, I, there there can be certain aspects here that are going to be uh, me just kind of scratching the surface, and then I'll go deep on a few. So if people are already familiar with a lot of this, uh, stay tuned for some of the stuff that's not yet released. So there'll be hopefully something for everyone. For a mechanical question, who's doing what, where, where, where is the development happening? The build, so actually, I have, I have quite a large team, and it is distributed throughout the world. There are offices in uh, Pune and Hyderabad in India. There's offices in uh, Singapore, uh, in Shanghai, in uh, Portland, San Francisco, uh, Novi, Michigan, just out of outside of Detroit, uh, Copenhagen, and uh where else do i have teams this is it there's that's 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 a, that's a, that's the bulk that's the bulk of it autodesk has offices even further throughout the world so there's there are pieces of uh pieces of tech that come from all over the world but autodesk is a global company there's something like eight thousand people in the company uh and i think we have 60 some offices across the world so development happens all over Okay, so this is the mechanical modeler. I think most of these things are pretty familiar to people. Uh, the thing that I want to jump into is the simulation. Lots of people are using it, but for people who are, these videos get watched by lots of people, maybe just do a quick kind of end to end sort of how all the steps integrate, if you can. Absolutely. Yeah, so the, so the, I want to jump into the, uh, so this is, Right, you, you might this this is something that you might extrude and go to the sketching environment and create. And then if you wanted to simulate it, I'll jump over to the simulation. So in this case, here's another model that I have. In this case, this is something you might consider this like a robot gripper. And so from here I can simulate I'll, I can simulate what's gonna happen on this thing. And in, for this particular uh example, what I've done is I've actually done a a, a shape optimization. So over here in these areas, I've told Fusion, don't mess with these areas because this is where the pin attaches to the modeler. And then I put a force over here. And I said, uh, stay within some safety factor and, and reduce the weight on this thing until uh, you get to 40%. So I'll switch over to the results view. So what it, does, what it did is it actually reduced, it went through and 
cut out a whole bunch of the structure to, to then get me something that is about 40% of the original weight. And I can, you can see the slider over here. I can, right, so I can fill the weight back in if I, if I wanted to. You can kind of see how that stuff grows together. And this is this, you know, this this is this is kind of a fun thing, which which is this is our so Fusion's a desktop product. There's also a, a a browser version, which I'll show off. But this is something that's that's connected into our cloud. So the solving on this is actually pretty intense. So that's I wanted to raise that. This is one yeah, of the things I want to come back to at the end. The transition from um, imperative to declarative design. The full version of what you just showed is NP complete, and so. I, 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 in what you showed at this stage, how do you make it tractable? So let, let me switch over to a video, which has a little bit of a better view of this. So this shows this shows a, a, a high-performance car that was the designed in Fusion, and they were showing off some of the simulation tools. And we'll get to the shape optimization one of the third one. So the first one is... Uh, uh, event-based so you can put you can you can have event-based uh, forces that are put on it you can look at what happens as those forces come in and out so in this case we're looking at the struts and seeing how a, a force what happens when the when the force goes on and off then there's some buckling this is a sheet metal part that we're uh, doing a simulation to see what happens uh, see if it buckles and these, some of these are these are all nonlinear simulations that are that are best done on the cloud. So the big advantage of setting it up, and then we get back to this. This is the shape optimization again. So again, doing the same thing here, setting it up so that we're doing a target reduction in mass, telling it where where the areas are that you don't want to mess up because they're combined. They're they're connected to the other parts of the the uh, assembly. And there's a cloud solve. And this sets up a mesh. And then what you can do is you can promote that mesh and then remodel it as a solid model. So that's what's, that's what's shown here. So here's the mesh. And the mesh is kind of messy, but then you can take it into a, take it in and sculpt around it to actually make it into a solid model, which is, which is a little bit better for manufacturing. Is that what you had in mind? Well, yeah, we'll keep going. I have some more questions about that, but that's good now. Keep going. So the, the other, so the next thing that I want to show connection is the CAM workspace. Uh, so this is uh, the computer-aided machining. So this is a, a, a scan I actually did of my wife. So that I, I did a photogrammetry scan of, of Christy and brought it into Fusion as a mesh. So it's it's just shown there as a mesh. And then from here, I can actually take it directly into the machining workspace. And I've done a little bit of uh, pre-baking on this, but I set up two toolpaths. So first, I did a first adaptive clear to remove some of the bulk material. And then I did a, a, a finish pass with a ball end mill. And then so sorry, what I can do here. Explain adaptive clear. So the adaptive clear is, uh, the idea is you want to keep the tool engaged as much as you can. So instead of coming down and doing uh, individual passes at a certain depth, what this does is it says, okay, I can I can load the tool up with a certain amount of cutting force, and 
the toolpath is set up to keep that tool engaged as best it can. And it's a strategy simply for removing material as fast as you can. So you could, you could go through and just take this thing down level by level and just let the tool do incremental uh, steps of the same height. Or you can do uh, the adaptive tool says the tool can take this much force uh, and let's go through and just load it as best we can. Yeah. So you can I'm see that a little bit. Yeah, I'm flagging that um, because uh, one of the primary goals of Fab Labs is to make Fab Labs. Uh, Jens Dievek has been making beautiful Fab Lab machines that you can make in Fab Labs. And the heart of it ended up being trochoidal toolpaths, that what let the machines make the machines um, at heart was constant loading in the tool in the toolpath, leading to these yeah. beautiful machines that can make their own parts. So now just to, to show this off, I'm gonna go through and simulate it. So I'm gonna turn the stock on, and then go ahead and cut. And I'll speed it up. I think it looks pretty good on the monitor, so I'll speed it up so you can just kind of see what's going on. So in this case, it's probably, I, I set this thing up to machine it out of a foam, which is why those tools, those, those passes are pretty intense. <clears throat> So it's coming through, it'll do the, the bulk clearing of the material and then switch over to a ball end mill to do some finish passes. So you can see the, the shape of Christie's head is taking shape here. But this is, this is, this is actually something that, that people really love in Fusion, the direct connection between design and CAM. So if you're in this CAM environment and you discover that there's a piece that you can't machine or it's not actually going to turn out the way that you want you just switch right back to the modeling environment and you can make changes so now it's switched over to the different tool and now it's uh doing a different strategy to try and do a uh, to do a finish pass on the tool and actually you can see in the bottom there's some things that are marked as red those are where the tool collides with the stock uh so i would then go back and investigate those collisions to see whether i had the settings wrong or there's actually some geometry that I might need to adjust. And this is exactly the point, right? When you, this is a direct connection. So this is a lot of the customers love this because previously, if you're using something like uh, another, if you're using MasterCam or some other uh, uh, cam tool, if you discovered a problem, you'd have to take the take the geometry back into your modeling tool, and just that throwing it over the fence can be just really annoying, uh, and it just slows you down. Whereas here, you discover something that's not quite to your liking in the, the toolpath and can go and adjust the model directly. The other thing that I wanted to point out, which may have just kind of passed right by, is we're machining a mesh here. Uh, so I, this, is, this is kind of a, a fun thing for me because as recently as two years ago, doing this kind of stuff was just really a nightmare. Getting a, getting a mesh from scan data and getting it into something that you could do a toolpath on was just multiple steps, multiple different products, and just a huge nightmare. Uh, and in the, this is actually a release from April in Fusion where meshes are now just things you can machine. It's just, it's just completely connected. You can take a mesh and you can do a toolpath on it, or interestingly, you can take a stock as a mesh. So the example there would be if you had a uh, you had an object, you could scan that object, and then you could do a toolpath on that on that object using the object as the using the, the mesh as the stock 
how well does it handle um, typical bad scan, non-watertight, wholly met, um, inverted normal meshes? There's still, I'd, I'd say, it's, you, 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 if you've got some reverse normals, you're still going to have some trouble. Uh, but there's, we're getting better at making that. There's also a, there's a mesh environment infusion, so you can clean some of that stuff up. Uh, and ultimately, I'd say all the tools that people are familiar with in MeshMixer will eventually make their way into Fusion. Uh, so all the kind of the, the best in class way of cleaning up meshes will get get put in there. So yeah, there's this is this is also a little bit of shake and bake in that I I, I specifically chose a mesh that I know is watertight. And I know it's a good, a good one. So let's let's switch over. So using that same the same geometry, if I don't have uh, a CNC, uh, I can actually go and make it in, in our slicer. So up here in this, in this make area, I've added in the uh, slicer. And I got this from the add-ins menu over here. This is an add-in. So slicer then lets me cut it in slices. It's, it's an add-in right now, but I will show it off here. So what this does is it takes that same geometry and it uh, splits it up into stacked slices. So this is so, something that you would then be able to laser cut. Is that in the one, two, three D make lineage? Yes, exactly. So one, so we have combined. So one, two, three D. We are. Uh, I just kind of jumping back to the, where all this stuff came from. At some point, we had. In fact, sorry, that, that dates even back before your transition. It does, yeah. So, we, so, so we, what we what we ultimately decided. So, one, two, three D had a, a a bunch of products. There's a design tool. There's a photogrammetry tool. There's this slicer, and we ultimately decided that there was just too many brands. So, what we what we did is we took all the features and functionality of one, two, three D and have been incorporating them into Fusion. So one two three D is is actually going away, uh, but everything that people did with one two three D is getting added into Fusion. So this what is the, the, the slicer. Photogrammetry. That's that's uh, that's right now in something called remake, and that will that will find its way into into the rest of the Autodesk products at some point. So this one is uh, so you can see over here on the right. This is the the sheets. So if I were going to laser cut this or route it or something, these are the, the the pieces that would be cut on that that sheet, and then you'd stack them up. And there's all sorts of there's animations for how to stack it up, and you can put dowels in so that the things get aligned. And there's a bunch of different techniques here. So I've got I right now have it on stacked slices, but you can also do things like interlocking slices. So now there's uh, slices that have that, that kind of cut, and then you 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 put them together. And there's also you can do radial slices. So depending on what you're trying to make, uh, it might make sense to do it in one of these other techniques where you'd have a bunch of slices that fit together in different ways. So finishing off in the make area, there's a couple other cool things up here. Uh, one of the ones that I want to highlight, and this this stuff is a little bit hidden, so we have to we have to get better at this. But uh, get project resources is pretty interesting. This is uh, HW Trek, and this is effectively a dating service for Shenzhen manufacturers. So what you can do is you can take your geometry and send it to them, and they'll uh, look at it and say, hey, we've done something like this. This is how we might do it for you. So for folks that are uh, thinking about going into production, we're trying to, we're trying to make, that, uh, make that, that process better. So I'd, 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 I'd encourage folks to check, check out the, uh, 
the process, the things up here. And then also I'll, I'll say again, the slicer that I just showed came from the add-ins. So it doesn't, it, it, you have to go to the Fusion 360 app store, get the slicer. It's the first one on there. It's easy to find. And then it will show up in your make, make window. Okay, let's switch to another integrated environment, which is a lot of fun. And this one is not yet released. So I have to do it over here and show you the video. This is, so we acquired Eagle, the electronics uh, design suite uh, last June. And we've been furiously uh, both improving Eagle, but also connecting it into Fusion. And the ultimate thing that we want to do is have a combined electrical mechanical uh, design environment. So in this case, so what we're showing in this video is uh, making a circuit board. Here's the Eagle. And now here's the board that was, that was uh, the geometry of the board that was uh, set in Fusion 360. So going through and getting everything to fit on there. And now we open up that PCB in Fusion, go through and populate it. And then this can then go right into Fusion 360. And here we're showing off a clash. So there's a, there's a clash between the, the housing and the PCB. So that you can go right back into Eagle, make the, make the adjustments required. And now we gotta make sure that it fits within the, the environment there. So this is the, the direction we're heading here. And this is, this is for the, the, fir the first step will be uh, a great link between Eagle and Fusion 360 so that you can, you can both, you, you can work on the same data. And the next obvious step that we're doing is we're, we will simply make a electronic design workspace within Fusion 360. So just like that CAM workspace, you'll be able to switch over to an electronics design uh, environment, do the electronics design, and then combine it in with the mechanical design and the manufacturing. What's the timing for that roadmap? The link between Eagle and Fusion 360 is coming out this summer. The connection is kind of on the, 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 the fuzzy horizon, so six to, six to 12 months. We've got a, there's a kind of under the hood stuff we're doing is we're, the first step we're doing here to make this work is we're really investing in Fusion 360's API. Uh, so the API is not very mature at this point. Uh, we will mature that API so that we can build uh, the functionality of Eagle on top of that. And that has a side benefit, which is that uh, a mature API means that others can build uh, pieces uh, on, on top of Fusion 360 more easily. So that, I mean, this is this is one of the things that really excites me, right? This is this is an obvious place where uh, I have done some design like this myself. In fact, that first piece that I was showing in Fusion 360 is actually a cover. So I built a, I'm so I'm really into precision cooking, and so I got what's called a CVAP, which is a controlled vapor oven. Uh, it's a you, it's a it's a big stainless steel box, and it has a a water bath that it controls the temperature of, and then it also has the, the air. It controls the temperature of the air. I bought the thing from a steakhouse that was going out of business, and I didn't like the controller, so I had to redesign the controller and so put my own PID in it. And then, of course, I kind of just bolted an Arduino onto the outside of this box, and uh, I had the thing outside my house, so I, I, it was getting rained on. So I then 
made this cover to put on, put over top of it. But in any case, it, this is this would have been fantastic if I could have had all of my electronics in the same environment, so I could just design the cover. And and it obviously gets much more much more nuanced than just putting a cover on a on a, on a stupid oven. Uh, but I think that combining those environments is going to be really awesome. So a simulation question. In tools like Eagle, um, the interface between the digital simulation and the analog simulation has always been a little bit weak. Um, when you then bring this into Fusion, now can you do analog simulation, digital logic simulation with physical simulation, and then for extra yeah, credit, so the physics simulation? So that yeah, that that is definitely our longer term vision. Uh, that's that's not going to be with it. First, we just got to get the tools to speak together nicely before we can. But yes, the, the vision would be that you would be able to have a electromechanical uh, design, electromechanical object, and you'd be able to simulate the firmware running on the thing, uh, and actually turn it on and see the thing move in the in a, in a real environment. So you could do all sorts of things like thermal studies, motion studies. Uh, see and just see what your product does, right? So that is that is our that is our vision, uh, and we have all those pieces, right? This is a big part of what what excites me about what I'm doing is we have all these pieces. So we've got we've got all the microelectronic simulation from uh, from things like Circuit.io. We've got all that. Uh, we have the simulation, the mechanical simulation, the thermal simulation, the nonlinear uh, event-based simulation. So at some point we'll be able to connect all these things together and you'll be able to just run your firmware, simulate it, turn on the motors, see the thing move, see how much heat it generates and actually do a full simulation of the, the uh, <clears throat> product that you're developing. And then you could, you could take it into manufacturing because we're connected into those manufacturing tools. Where are you on the multi-physics things like um, magnetic fields or CFD? CFD we're really good at because uh, there's other other aspects of Autodesk that do all that. Uh, the magnetics I'm less familiar with about within what, what we have in that, so not I, I can't I don't I can't really comment with a lot of authority on what we're doing there. Just because a lot of the machine building projects increasingly are now descending into motor design. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and there's actually there's a company called Modbot, which is one of our customers, which is uh, uh, doing a lot of that themselves. So it's it's uh, we're we are uh, watching some of our customers start to really scratch the surface of this because okay. they're design they're designing their own motors and their own uh, uh, gearboxes to do uh, mo motion control for robots and they're okay. doing that all within Fusion 360. Um, I have a couple roadmap questions that I want to open up for general Q and A. Um, were there other things you're going to show first? Yeah, I want to show two more things, which is which which are fun. So obviously, I've been showing a desktop product, but uh, we're not limited to desktop. We are also on. So here, I'm showing my. my Good. This uh, is one of my questions. Cloud transition. Yep. So now you can just see it here. So I can edit the browser, or I can edit in desktop. So I'm just going to and, go edit in browser, and this is a live demo. Uh, so let's hope it works. <laughs> And so this is what we call our web client. Uh, and as it loads, it, what is the state of this becoming available? This is going to be so. This is in preview right now, and this will become available for general use in June. So we're coming up in a couple weeks for this to come out. Okay.
and the idea here, this is so this is this was this is the fusion, this is fusion in a browser. Okay, there it is. Turn the DVAP off and turn the cover on. How does it compare to the desktop client? Uh, there's there's a there's a few. I mean, it does so. It does the uh, modeling. So what we, we we have here, we've got the the workspaces. It's limited just the modeling, so we don't do any of the cam or oh. simulation in the in the browser right now. It's limited just the modeling. Then you expect that to come. And that that depending on what happens, that'll come. So the so I think what's really going on here. And if you hear yelling in the background, my son just woke up. He's going crazy. <laughs> So, uh, we've had a video. Yeah, if he runs, if he runs by, I'll do that. My, my daughter, my daughter's reading quietly at my feet. So. <laughs> but so we, uh, I view this as the desktop right now is the better experience because you have more power on the desktop. But if there's a platform shift, uh, we wanted to, we wanted to be ready for that platform shift. And I think that. Yeah. So sorry, I, I would really push you on that. We've been doing a lot, both DBA, uh, MIT, and the Fab Network, in moving high-performance computing into the browser. Mm -hmm. And at this point, a lot of the development we're doing is in the browser, not for the browser, but because it's a great high-performance computing environment at this point. And a lot of the tool development really is cross-platform in this way. So I'd really encourage getting the rest of the rest of it ported. Yeah, I think I mean this is this is our first step. We'll get it we'll get it out and see how people respond. And if there is if the customer response is uh is awesome, we'll start putting all the other features into the browser. But I think this is this is really about we've had a little bit of a chip on our shoulder on browser versus desktop for a while. And so we we built a browser tool. It works great <clears throat> and we'll see what happens and then start investing uh, more and more in it to uh if it makes sense for the customers. Sorry, which chip is the chip that the browser can't compete with the desktop? No, I think it's just a the the chip is a little bit just on um, the desktop nature of Autodesk generally, mm. right? So we've we've had just because we've got thirty years of history on making desktop products, so it's just the uh, the idea that one would come in and just do a quick platform shift to browser uh, has it meets meets some form of resistance. Got it. I understand. Yeah. Um, go ahead. So, um, and you had something the, else. To the show. final thing, yeah. The final thing I wanted to show is uh, so Tinkercad is also something I run. Uh, Tinkercad is a fantastic introduction to 3D modeling for people who are totally uh, uh, unfamiliar. And and it, it's and it's so it's so great because what it is is it's just primitives. So all you're doing is you're taking shapes and you're adding and subtracting them. So what I've shown here is I have a I have a uh, a rectangle, rectangular saw, and I just put a hole in it. Uh, and so now I've made something with a, I made a rectangle with a hole in it. I haven't had to do any sketching or any kind of conceptual modeling. Uh, and I, all I do is I just combine these things together and then uh, I have a system uh, together and now here's something with a hole. So the, and then this is all meshes. 
just kind of spin this around there. So there's a hole. This is all meshes. So if you were to export this as an STL and try to take it into a solid modeler, this wouldn't be a hole. It'd actually be a bunch of faces. So what we, this is another piece that we're about to release. Because Tinkercad runs on what we call recipes, there's basically, a, there's, a, there's a recipe book that says how all those pieces come together. Instead of taking the STL or the mesh, we're taking the recipe and taking the recipe into Fusion. So what I'm showing here is a, a quick design in Tinkercad. And then what we'll do is we'll uh, take that right into Fusion 360. And the idea here is that uh, Tinkercad is, is, is probably the dominant way that, that, that kids are learning 3D modeling. Tinkercad has something like five and a half million registered users and a million people using it every month. And I think that there's a bunch of people there that are probably ready to graduate to the next level of modeling. Uh, so we've now made it so they can take their designs right into Fusion. So you can see that Fusion recognizes those holes. They're not faces, they're actually holes. They're, they're circles and, you, and it recognizes all the edges. So you can do chamfers and, and you can shell it. And then it's, it's a normal Fusion uh, uh, object. So I just showed the visualization and then here's the, the drawing environment. So again, this is this is about the connection, right? The the connection across these things. So if people want, so Tinkercad is a great modeling environment. If people want to start something in Tinkercad, they can easily take it into into Fusion. Great. So two quick roadmap questions, and then let's open to general Q and A. One was, um, I was with <clears throat> Carl Bass soon after he threw up his hands and said he would give away Autodesk to Maker and nonprofit because he couldn't figure out how to charge. <laughs> which was an amazing decision that had an incredible impact. Now, looking forward, talk about who pays whom for what for everything you just showed. So uh, we had, there's two, two strategy questions there. First is uh, we have an education strategy, which is that uh, all of our software is free for educational use. And that is, that is part of the company's DNA at this point. Uh, Kind of interesting because I, I, I heard Carl talk about it at some point uh, to the press, and he said because we were all celebrating that we had that we were giving away uh, software to to all of education for free, and he said, you know, I had to do this kind of slowly because previously we we charged for education, and it was a hundred million dollar business, and so he said, yeah, I can't just go to the shareholders and say, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm going to destroy this hundred million dollar business <laughs> because they would uh, they would have had a riot. But because he did it slowly over a consistent period of time, we made that transition, and now we're completely celebrated that uh, that's something that Autodesk does. So I'm I'm and sorry to share that on both sides because the Fab Academy is global. There isn't a conventional accreditation, and Autodesk was great in recognizing it as education for for that relationship even though it's not a traditional educational entity yeah yeah i think we're i think we're we're, we're fairly broad in what we consider education uh, uh, and then, yeah there he is got a bunch of <laughs> uh, so the other thing is is uh we we call it makers and enthusiasts and also startups so fusion 360 is free for anyone who is uh, using it in a enthusiast or non-commercial manner, but also it is free for people who are using it in a commercial manner and whose companies make less than $100,000 in revenue. Uh, and the idea here is that 
we want to make it easy to uh, use the product as your company grows. And th- and our our uh, our uh, business model is that people who are actually making lots of money are the ones who will who will pay. So once you transition into the revenue generating lots of revenue generating phase of your your business, that's when you need to buy commercial licenses. So what's impressive about that is if that extends to the simulation, you're consuming serious cloud resources for the free versions. I, yes, and that is something that, that I will just o- open the kimono a little bit here in that we're trying to figure out how to manage that because uh, it could be that the education uh, use of our cloud solve could be quite a costly uh, uh, experience. So we're trying to figure out how to uh, both allow educators to use that those advanced simulation tools but without breaking our own Amazon, our own our own bank, our own uh, our own hosting costs. So yeah. that that's that's still a work in progress. But yeah, you, 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 we we are committed to let to uh, give give those tools so people can use them. We're just not sure how much you'll be able to use them to uh, make right. sure that we don't we don't we don't break our own bank. It'd be natural to pay for like cores or nodes or sort of resource consumption beyond the basics. Um, I, I'm, I'm confident that we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll make, we'll, we'll make it, uh, we'll, we'll figure out how to make it work because the, again, I think the strategy is so strong about giving the, the software weighted education for free. So to speculate about one of my favorite questions, which is the transition from imperative to declarative design from not optimize the subsystem, but this is what I want something to do, find a way to do it. Yeah. So we have a project, we've got several projects doing this and uh, they will, lar- they will, you'll first start seeing them in something called NetFab. So NetFab is, a, right now it's a kind of premier software for additive manufacturing. Uh, it, it helps people do things like uh, when you're doing uh, metal additive manufacturing, typically have a powder bed of metal and you have a laser that comes over and centers the, the, the metal powder. Uh, and you have to really control the toolpath of that laser to get exactly what you want. And also you want to simulate the uh, object that you're making because the thermal stresses are pretty intense uh, during that process. So what, what you often do is you pre-warp the geometry uh, so that when it actually is centered and it warps itself, it actually goes back to the geometry that you want. So from there, you go to the next stage, which is, okay, we've got all this simulation. Let's just start saying, what forces or thermal uh, thermal uh, conduction we want to have on a part and help and have the computer help us design it. So we, we broadly call that generative uh, and that's being built within NetFab and we're uh, connecting NetFab to Fusion 360 in some meaningful ways so that you can start getting into this generative design. Uh, so the first piece of that, so NetFab will be connected in the first uh, initial step will be connected in June, and then over the next kind of year, we'll start to see pieces of NetFab show up in Fusion 360, so we can do that. And whether that show, shows up as like a a separate environment or another generative workspace, I'm not quite sure yet. But that is that is that is what we're what we're thinking about uh, to really make it so that you you can take advantage of the cloud in a really meaningful way. Great. So let's open to anybody's questions. Let's just go ahead. Anybody wants to ask anything? 
Remember star six on the bridge. Hello, this Go ahead. Is Andy from Munich, uh, Germany. I'm a big fan of um, Tinkercad and I'm now slowly uh, graduating into Fusion 360. Um, and I'm still a bit um, bad on cam modeling. Um, what, what I'm still, it's very difficult. Do you have any tips how I can get better into uh, cam? So the uh... My the, the best way to learn CAM is actually just to do it. I would recommend something like an other mill or another small uh, I have one. I have one. CNC tool. And just don't be afraid of breaking it. Because it's like if you break tools, you're supposed to break tools. So first off, make sure that you're breaking tools because you're supposed to break tools. <laughs> if you're not breaking tools, you don't, you're not learning. Uh, Sorry. You're supposed to break small tools and have safety glasses. <laughs> just to say that carefully. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and there are, there's a bunch, there, there's some cam learning, uh, areas on, on our, our learning area for Fusion 360. The other fun thing is there's a huge number of people on Instagram of all places that are showing off stuff that they've made, uh, in the Fusion 360 cam environment. Uh, so there, there's, there's, there's people who have, uh, some videos there. That might be a fun place to go and look to kind of get, get some inspiration and, and, and learn some. But Andy, I'd also give one question, which is Fusion is really doing a nice job of next generation CAM, which is much more adaptive, which is different than what you'll learn in the canon of CAM. True, it um, is, it, that, 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 that is correct. But a lot, a lot of the, the Instagram folks are, are Fusion users, so they're, uh, they're, they're right on board. Great. I'm almost there. Um, I'm, I saw this uh, cool fidget spinner tutorial from Adafruit, and it would be cool if there were more tutorials like that uh, showing how you can use the Fusion 360 and and the other mill in this case. Uh, yes, yeah, that's the only cool thing I've found, and I'm doing that at the moment. It's still, still difficult for me. Yeah? It is funny that you mention that, because I spent actually 18 hours last weekend making fidget spinners for my kids. <laughs> so I'm just actually bringing the model up. So my, my daughter's name is Corvidae, which is the family of birds that includes crows, ravens, and blue jays. So I made her this, this crow profile spinner. And uh, right, so it's, it's all, it's I'm trying to get the set of masks, the thing spins properly. Actually, that, that, one, that one didn't spin properly. This one will spin properly. But, right, getting the center of mass and putting the bearing right in the center of mass. And then, uh, I was cutting at the other mill, but then I broke the spindle on my other mill because I was being too aggressive. Uh, so then I switched over to 3D printing it. And of course, the, the sparse infill on the 3D printing makes it so that the mass balance is all messed up. So then I was writing an email to the team at NetFab saying, hey, I really need you to send the model of the toolpath back into Fusion so I can, I can model where the mass is on this thing to get my fidget spinner to work. So yes. Yeah, keep, keep building your fidget spinner to learn CAM. <laughs> Let's keep going. Other questions and comments? Okay, um, Eric, you answered one of my questions regarding the browser right. version of Fusion 360. Sorry. Uh, let me ask people to introduce who they are and where they are to Eric. Go ahead. Okay, um, Eric, um, I actually heard about the browser-based version of Fusion 360 from the Singapore Autodesk rep. So you answered that question. But I'd just like to find out, uh, 
Fusion 360 have this uh, the uh, unwrap, UV unwrap feature or equivalent because, uh, for instance, if I want to make a living hinge design, one of the problems I have is getting the connections, uh, where to put in the slot, the uh, socket for connection, and uh, currently I'm calculating it manually. Is, is there a way to do it faster uh, with the Fusion 360 package? For a living hinge? Well, that's what you're trying to make? Uh, well, no, but yeah, living hinge. Because uh, one of the problems with uh, designing living hinge is where to put in all the uh, joints or the sockets, uh, the slot that fits into it. But Eric, he's asking so, more generally about a class of things that comes up often, um, which is yeah. in, in CG land, UV unwrapping, but in CAD land, it's sort of uh, unfolding planar structures that become non-planar structures. So the two two things I can suggest on that, and I'm, I'm not totally familiar. I'm having a, a, so, uh, so we have a uh, sheet metal. Imagine you make something by cutting and folding. Yeah, um, so we have a, we have a sheet metal. But, but then you want to unfold it to make it as a flat thing that then folds back up into a, yeah. Yeah, so we, we have a upcoming sheet metal uh, environment. And it, it does traditional sheet metal, which will then unfold uh, kind of the stuff that, that you, you've made within the sheet metal. But some of the people who, are, who have been doing this and checking this out in the preview, they've actually been using the unfold aspect of sheet metal from other types of designs to do some, some fairly interesting work. And the, the unfolding uh, algorithms just, just work on other models. Well, let so me really something underscore that because there's all these processes of curving and flexures and living hinges and structural origami that are based on folding structural elements. So the, the sheet metal is out in preview and it will be out for general consumption in uh, late summer. And if, if, so the other thing for these, for the browser based version of Fusion and the sheet metal, these, these, I can get anyone access to these if they want. So if people okay. want to just email me, you can find me pretty easily on the web, just Eric at Instructables or Eric Wilhelm at Autodesk. And uh, I can get you access to all this. So, so if people are excited about some of the stuff they see, I can get you access to it. Yeah, I would encourage you to enlarge that from sheet metal to folding. Yeah, so the the other aspect on some of what I think what you're asking about is there's the in, there's the event-based modeling. So you can actually do motion control. The uh, You can do things like simulate a buckle, simulate a, like a, a buckle, a snap buckle, and you can you can simulate both the, the, the deformation of it and also look for clashes as it goes through that range of motion. So that might be something also interesting to, for you to check out. Good. More questions or comments? This is Jens Lewis from Morris from the Project So Eric, Jens was the one who was make, using the trichoidal milling to make the machines that make machines I showed you. Oh, cool. Go ahead, Jens. Okay, cool. So I'm a big fan of visual programming. I, I use Grasshopper a lot because of the knowledge programming easier for my visual brain than script-based programming. And uh, actually, the machines we make, we, we parametrically generate those machines. So how do you guys consider uh, adding knowledge programming to Qtube? So, yeah. yeah, we we have something called Dynamo, which is better uh, integrated into Revit. But has some of the same type of uh, 
of uh, ability that one might find in Grasshopper. And the connection between Dynamo and Fusion is still being built, uh, so it isn't really ready for prime time. Um, Jens, are you near your Heinz machine? Can you show it to Eric? Unfortunately, no. We are in the office, so we only have the links that you show. Ah, okay. Because, um, uh, Eric, the, the lineage of Nadia and Jonathan is good origin story for other machines. They're all now working with Jens on, on this lineage, where what he's done that's beautiful is he's eliminated almost all of the master car. He buys the motors and electronics, but all of the other precision parts are now made on made. the machine itself. That's cool. Yeah. Good. Um, almost out of time. Any final questions, comments? Yes. Uh, hi, Neil. This is Mathieu from uh, uh, San Cugat uh, near Barcelona. Yeah. I'm using, uh, I do a lot of education for all ages, and I've been using 1, 2, 3D uh, design for, for uh, the last couple of years. And uh, I find now that uh, Tinkercad is is uh, is quite limited to get to a functional part, whereas Fusion 360 uh, has got so many options and menus that it's it's uh, it's a bit impressive for uh, for beginners because always uh, for beginners um, is is what is the idea be, between uh, yeah. letting go of the one two three D design here. So we we've we've got the I actually have somebody on my team who is his name is is Guillermo Melatoni. Uh he was a product manager for Tinkercad and I've now moved him on to uh what what we're calling first experience. So his job is to uh connect and make a well lit path from Tinkercad to Fusion 360. And some of the ideas that we've thrown around are having a simplified version of Fusion 360 for people who are coming in from uh, from Tinkercad. So it might be something along the lines of taking out a bunch of the menu items and the options that are just not gonna be used or not gonna be understood by someone who's just coming over from Tinkercad and progressively uh, adding those back in. I totally hear you on 1-2-3-D. 1-2-3-D was definitely between Tinkercad and uh, Fusion 360, but we just couldn't keep up that many brands and that much development because we had several several environments that, that one two three D was being developed on, and we just weren't able to keep up the the resources on that. So it just made sense for us to to focus on Tinkercad and Fusion three sixty. So apologies that that's going away, but I do believe that uh, Fusion three sixty will be uh, a, a suitable tool, and we just have to perhaps mask off some of the stuff or, or give some better learning content. So hear you on that, and that is being actively worked on. Do you have a date for um, the stripped-down version? Yeah, the the, the stripped-down version. No, we don't have a data. We don't have that in the roadmap yet. We're doing that that connection between Tinkercad and uh, Fusion 360 is our first step. Okay. And that should be Thank out. You. That should be out this summer too. Good. Thank Almost out of time. Any last questions, comments? Hello, this is Alicia. Can you hear me? Yep. Um, hi, this is Alicia. Hi, from Fab Lab Santiago. I was curious about um, the integration of materials into um, Fusion with respect to the materials library, whether there was flexibility with adding your own materials and what kind of interface that looked like. 
And then second of all, um, more a question around materials modeling. So around composite modeling and whether there's any integration um, into fusion in the future or your, your view on that um, side so of Eric, it. Let me unpack that question. Alicia has been tackling for materials something a bit like what Saul did with her DOE for energy, which is like complete life cycle material <laughs> maps looking at sustainability of the footprint. So we, we're, we're, we're addressing this in a slightly different way, which is uh, we're looking at it from a manufacturing, a process database. So there are, there's, a, there's actually, a, there's a pretty substantial group at Autodesk that is looking at the, let me, let me step back and say, we have, in, so we have a product called Moldflow, which is a simulation for injection molding. And Moldful has a very nice uh, materials database for the plastics that you injection mold. The difference there is that the bulk material is the same. You get the same materials out of the bulk that you do out of the injection molded part. When you go through a process like additive, uh, the process is actually very, uh, the process that you go through and the material properties are highly determined the material properties of the final part. So you can't just say, hey, I've got aluminum powder. I know what aluminum behaves like. I'm going to get a part that's like aluminum. It's, it depends entirely on the material, but also the processing. Uh, so we are putting together a database that looks at uh, all those process parameters and the materials that goes into it. And of course, you can imagine the matrix is huge. So we're, we're just filling in various uh, elements of that matrix as a way to uh, demonstrate the value of it so that we can work with partners to fill the uh, further further pieces of that in. So we're, 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 we're coming at this from the, the additive manufacturing perspective. Okay, thank so, you. Um, so we're out of time, Eric. Any closing thoughts from you to the network? Like, do you have any requests for them or hopes for them or so I, I, I'll just put, I'll, I'll, I want to say that uh, we, if, if anyone has trouble on Fusion, uh, the Fusion 360 forums are quite active. And also we have what amounts to an unwritten rule that anyone who get, asks a question will eventually get answered by someone who works here. Uh, so if, you, if you're feeling stuck, uh, you, can get, you can get help pretty quickly and pretty fast. Uh, from from that forum, so I really just I want to point out that the the community there is strong, and there's a there's a lot of the people that actually develop the product on those forums. Great. So thanks for joining us. There's been a big swing of people moving to Fusion. It's, it's been working really well. So it's great to look behind the hood, see you, and see the roadmap. I look forward to connecting on the trajectory. Yeah. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Okay. Thank you, Eric. Well, I'll say goodbye. Okay. I'm going to sign off. See you later. Thanks, Eric. Bye. Thanks, Eric. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.